This is the living word of God from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, since we have this ministry, we have received mercy. We do not lose hope. As we have received mercy, we do not lose hope. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded, commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. But since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Father in heaven, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you that we can come each week to hear uh, the word of life, the word of your grace given to us because you are a God of grace. And we bow before you and ask that we would be teachable people, that we'd be like Bereans this morning. That we would humble ourselves and learn and listen and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Lord, this is your living word. Applied in our lives, we pray, by the power of your spirit. We commit ourselves to you, and we love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. As I was flying back yesterday afternoon, <clears throat> it dawned on me that Phil might not be here today. And uh, it was interesting, right before that, I was meditating on some scripture. And I got thinking about ministry, actually. I got thinking about our ministry as a church and as individuals in, a church, in our church. And uh, so I looked at this passage. And uh, you may not remember this, but eight years ago I shared some of what I'm going to share today uh, regarding ministry and about not losing heart. And I'm not, I don't know, Phil and Rodney and I don't know if you're losing heart. I think some, it, it, 
ebbs and flows, uh, sometimes it's hard. And uh, it's possible that uh, some of you might be losing heart in your ministry. And we, Rod and I and Phil, pray for you, your families, and, and for individuals in your particular ministries. Praise God, you all have particular ministries that, that God is allowing you to do by his grace. And I actually shared as a request to Presbytery, and I, probably next week I will, I will try to summarize what, what we did there. Um, but I, I gave the report. Every one elder from each congrega- uh, church uh, gave a report on the congregation. How are they doing? What are their struggles? And one of the prayer requests I was led to give uh, was about our ministry. And uh, I asked basically that we would grow in zeal, great zeal in proclaiming the good news, that we would grow in, in maturity and skill in doing that, and uh, that we would love to do so. Uh, we would uh, be a church that would uh, be giving uh, the gospel out. And so I started thinking uh, later in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul was on the beach, actually, and he was going to say goodbye to the Ephesian elders. And uh, they were weeping, actually, the fact that he said he wasn't going to see them again. And uh, near the end of chapter 20, uh, Paul said, the Holy Spirit testifies, he's telling these men, the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulation await me. So he's saying that the Holy Spirit testified, it's a sure thing, that in every city he was at, every city, he already experienced that, every city that he was going to, that chains and tribulations await him. What did you think about, what would he be thinking at that point? You know, about going forward in ministry. He knew what was coming. In fact, he really knew it was coming. He'd already experienced uh, a lot. But Paul's response was this to his suffering uh, and knowing that he was going to suffer. He said in verse 24, none of these things move me. That was his response to the Holy Spirit telling him, you're going to suffer greatly. You're going to have tribulations from me. He said, none of these things move me. So he didn't lose heart. And he didn't hesitate to head to Jerusalem and, where he knew he was going to suffer and possibly die. He didn't lose heart. He wasn't faint in fulfilling this kind of a ministry that God had given him. And then in verse 24, he said, that I may finish my race with joy. He just wanted to finish doing exactly what God had called him to do, no matter what that would cost him. And it goes on. He says that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. If you need a Definition of ministry, that'd be a very good one. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God in all the ways that he gives you to do that in any any given day. And Paul was saying, I received this ministry, I just want to finish and testify to the gospel of the grace of God in my life. We can all do that. And we are also responsible. We've been given the responsibility to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amazing that he would give that task to us, that calling to testify to the gospel of the grace of God in our lives. And we've been commissioned, you know, the Great Commission in Matthew 28. We are to communicate the good news to all the world, starting where we are. We're to proclaim the gospel, and then we're to help those who respond in repentance and faith uh, by his grace to grow as disciples. That's what we should be doing. And 
But in claiming the gospel and in the ministry of sharing the word, I believe, and I'm sure, it's possible to lose heart in, in ministry. Even if it's not, uh, you're not suffering to the degree that Paul was. And I'm not, I'm not, again, I'm not sure if any of you have lost heart in your ministries. I think some of you are doing amazingly well. You're not asking for credit. You're not doing it for anybody else but the Lord Jesus. And it may never be noticed, but you are doing it for his glory. But we may wonder sometimes about our zeal, about our faithfulness in doing what we're supposed to do. We have days that we don't uh, minister as we should. We may wonder about our effectiveness in, in this. And, of course, brothers and sisters, you know, there is a real cost in being a disciple in proclaiming the good news. Well, why do we lose heart sometimes? There's just a few ideas before we look at the text a little more. First of all, I think some people just get weary. I mean, they're tired. They're physically tired and emotionally tired. And it's harder to minister in those conditions. But I will show later that I believe many times that is the exact time that our ministry can be great and used by the Lord God. Well, secondly, I think we feel inadequate in a lot of ways. You know, we're not like Ray Comfort or we're not like Billy Graham or, you know, we're, we're actually we're comparing ourselves and that's a sin. Uh, or we're lacking in skill and knowledge. That can be changed. Or we're trying to do ministry in a way that does not fit our gifts. And again, I think often it's because we compare ourselves. Well, well they have a great ministry. I, I should probably do that. Well, no, you shouldn't. You should do what God's called you to do in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you may have fears. And you probably should have fears in some sense. Uh, but, you, you know, all of us fear rejection. We don't, nobody likes that. Uh, it might be a, a, the use of your priorities. Maybe in the scheme of your life right now, in, ter in terms of priority, uh, you're thinking anyway, as well, ministry is kind of down here. And I would say your thinking on ministry is wrong, and I'll talk about that in a minute. It could be just laziness, too, of course. Uh, it could be inertia. You know what inertia is? It's hard to get moving on something. So maybe you're just not sure where to start. But once you do, the Lord will certainly lead you. But I believe that a lack of prayer and uh, readiness, but, but prayer primarily, uh, if we do not go forward in prayer, uh, we will not overcome any of these issues that I just mentioned and all the other ones that might be there in your life. Prayer is vital. And I believe we can do all sorts of activity in this church. You can be doing great ministry and even recognized for that ministry. But if you are not praying to the living God that his name would be exalted in your ministry, then we all would tend to pride. And his glory, brothers and sisters, he will not give to any other. So we must be in prayer. If you're not in prayer, you need to start there in, in ministry. And it is itself a ministry, a large one. Now, our passage today, in this, in this passage in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, Paul wrote this in Macedonia. And uh, this chapter uh, that I read is in the middle of a, quite a long, uh, it's kind of a parenthesis in, in the middle of a, uh, about the middle of chapter 2, goes all the way to the first part of chapter 7. And Paul was telling the Corinthians here uh, the truth about his ministry. And he had this ministry, and he wanted to correct the false, what the false teachers were saying about him. By the way, that's another uh, issue, in, in maybe in some of our lives, that uh, uh, you know, people might talk about us. They might say bad things about us. But these false teachers were really on Paul's case, and he here is defending the integrity and the authority of the ministry of the gospel that Jesus gave to him, uh, that he had among them. 
And this passage starts, in verse 1, it says uh, that we do not lose heart. And it ends that way, too. In verse 16, it says, therefore, we do not lose heart. And so we're going to be looking at a few of the principles, uh, the therefores, that will help us to not lose heart in ministry. Now, before we look broadly at uh, 2 Corinthians 4, uh, I'd like to just look at the two definitions if you look at your uh, notes. Uh, ministry, uh, you might remember, and I'm going to refer to this in just a second, that we talked about ministry. We had three sessions about two years ago. We had three sessions on what is ministry. And I'm going to review just a little bit of that today. But uh, it's important for us to understand, uh, this is the broad definition here, uh, but what is ministry? We often have an erroneous view in our mind of what is ministry. But often by comparison, oh, that's what ministry is, I should do that. Uh, but there are many reasons that uh, we need to be reminded that uh, the Greek word is diakonia. And according to Vines, that, the Vines Expository Dictionary, that just means the general ministry of the servant of the Lord in communicating the gospel. Or you could say testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, ministry does have a general meaning. The general meaning is service. Uh, but all ministry uh, must be informed by the Word of God. And uh, we must share from the Word of God. Now, Paul in Acts 20, uh, again, 24, he said, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He wanted to finish that task. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, God, uh, it says that God reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Did you know that's something that's clearly given to you, to us? We have it. No matter how we look at it, we have a part in the ministry of reconciliation. And 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, we are, you are, ambassadors for Christ as though God was pleading through us. You are ambassadors. Now you may remember again, in, two years ago, uh, we had these three sessions. And I brought enough for each family. And I would like to pass those out to each family today. And I would like to ask that you seriously, today or sometime this week, take time to just review it a little bit. To think again about not only what is ministry, but what is our particular ministry. And ask the Lord for his leading in that. It's easy to coast or it's easy, to, again, for inertia to set in. And the question on the first page that I asked, and then you all gave great feedback. In fact, everything that I wrote down, the five points that I ended up, you had all shared. So what constitutes a ministry pleasing to the Lord? What constitutes a ministry pleasing to the Lord? And the definition that we came up with at the end, ministry is any outreach or service the Lord has given to you, or, and to anyone, that means uh, your outreach to anyone, which begins and continues by prayer and is done by the power and leading of the Holy Spirit through the word of God, in his power, by his grace and for his glory. Okay, I know that's not a short one, but I think that's a helpful definition for us to review, to remember again scripturally what is ministry. And then later on, in fact, the page that I'd like you to focus on uh, I, I think on the second session, we talked about the ministry of the, uh, the church officers. Uh, they have a particular calling in that. And uh, then the philosophy of ministry at our church, which is important for you to understand because it impacts your ministry. And then 
the last session we had was on your ministry. And we talked about that. And the question I, I would, what I'd urge you to think about and to pray about with your family is, what kind of ministry should we be doing now? Or are we doing exactly what should we, we should be doing? In other words, commit yourself to the Lord and ask him, are we, in fact, doing the ministry he's called us to do? That maybe it should change. Uh, by the way, I believe you're all doing, all doing ministry now. And I'll talk about that in a minute also. So please review this. Uh, in fact, I might ask you next week about this. And I believe it will encourage your family to do so. Now, you know, frankly, I just said, I think all of you are involved in ministry. Some people outside of our church would say, that's not really ministry. You mean that's all you're doing? Don't go that way. I think a Christian without a ministry is impossible, frankly. I think a Christian without a ministry is dead. And I mean physically dead. I mean, he's, he, or a hermit, maybe. I mean, he doesn't see anybody ever, anytime. He doesn't interact with any people. Um, and even if you aren't around that many people, you don't have to be around crowds. But your power in ministry, and your primary ministry, as I've already said, is prayer. None of you can say you don't have a ministry. It's really clear. Now, you might be very active in, quote, ministry, act, active ministry, but unless you pray again, your ministry will not be blessed by the Lord because I believe, as I said, his glory he will give to no other. And I think if we are not praying, almost automatically, we will be tempted to pride and receiving glory from whatever occurs. Now, the second definition here is about do not lose heart. And there are only five times in the New Testament that that was referred to. Uh, basically, it means, uh, you know, don't, uh, it means being faint-hearted. Being faint-hearted. You know, you want to give up, and you're just weary of this for whatever reason. Luke 18.1 is one of those passages. Uh, then uh, this is about the persistent widow. Remember there, her? She just wouldn't give up. And, <coughs> excuse me, coming to this judge and, and wanting a response. <coughs> so... It says, then he spoke a parable to the disciples, uh, the men always ought to, that we ought to always pray and not lose heart. And he was telling them to be persistent in prayer, as I just urged you myself, and not give up easily. To be like this widow who would not give up. And then, in, uh, then the other, uh, two other passages that this phrase, do not lose heart, is listed is the, what we are looking at today. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1 and verse 16. And then in Galatians 6, 9, it says, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So we're talk this is talking about being weary again, about being tired in, in the service of others. But we should remember uh, the great reward there is and the harvest we will reap if we do not lose heart. And then the last one is in Ephesians 3, verse 13. It says, therefore I ask, you, ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. So in that case, they were kind of down. They were losing heart because of the suffering of Paul. And that can affect us also. We can see, we can see uh, people who are really struggling and, and it's possible we can lose heart by watching, by watching what they're going, going through. Well, with those things in mind, <clears throat> passage begins with this. Therefore, since we have this ministry... It's very clear. <clears throat> we all have ministry, 
As we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. We've received God's great mercy. And by his mercy, it says we've been born again to a living hope. So God has given us ministry because of his mercy. And we won't lose heart if we realize that any ministry we have is because, purely because of his grace and his mercy to us. Could he do this without us? Certainly. But that is not his plan. So he was merciful to save us. He was merciful to include us in his work in proclaiming the gospel. In fact, in uh, 2 Corinthians 6, he calls us uh, workers together with him. It's an amazing calling. He was merciful to call us as his ambassadors, as I mentioned. He was merciful to save us from our self-love. And I believe if that was the only reason we were in ministry, we should do it because it would cause us to not be so in love with ourselves. And without his salvation, we would just be consumed, I believe, certainly, with our desires, our own desires, our own protection, whatever that may be. We'd be focused on ourselves. I believe we'd be miserable, and I believe we would be bored, which is a terrible thing for a Christian to ever say. John Stott said it this way, We are being delivered from the bondage of self-centeredness into the liberty of service. So self-centeredness is bondage. But service is liberty. We're liberated from our own foolish self. And I'm not sure how many of you have seen the movie Wally. Certainly, you've all seen it. You know, you remember in that there are a lot of kind of uh, overweight humans uh, who became very weak because everything was done for them. They never had to do anything. They never took action. They really had no purpose. So they just kind of got fat, lazy. But we are not in that boat. And I'm not talking about physically. But since we were regenerated by his mercy, as this verse says, we can now take our eyes off of ourselves and look at others and help others to know his mercy. We are called to do that in all the ways that God gives you to do that. And we have a great commission. It's called great for a reason, right? It's a task that can excite anybody, or it should. It can satisfy every longing that you might have to make your life count. Be involved in the Great Commission. Invest your lives for eternity. Sherry and I, some years ago, we, we were reading some books on counseling, and I believe this was Inside Out. I couldn't remember when I was thinking of this, but um, the thesis of that book uh, was that people long really have longings for two things, security and significance. I, I think probably I've shared this a few times before, but security, significance. And they look in illegitimate ways outside of the gospel to, fight, to try to meet these. We all do, and that's what sinful people do. You know, I want to be, um, be secure. And so we do things that are illegitimate to do that. Or I want to be significant, and so we do even worse things to look significant. But in the ministry of the gospel, um, our task is just to present the good news. But this is a task worthy of our lives, and it certainly should be captivating to us. That's, I believe, why I thought and prayed, and then I asked our presbytery to pray that we would be a zealous people, that we would be captivated by the good news, by the gospel. I believe we are. Uh, much more, I believe, we can impact this state, this city. May it be so. So we have a glorious gospel to tell, and we have 
all authority to carry it out. You know in Matthew 28, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All nations, he said. Now that's the world, right? I believe. Shouldn't that captivate us? Isn't that a purpose that we can joyfully give our lives for? I, I think a task does not get any bigger or more glorious than that. And praise God for his mercy that he saved us, gave us such an amazing task. He saved us also from giving our lives for that which is not eternal. This is living for ourselves. So we will not lose heart if we remember that God in his mercy has called us to be ministers of the gospel, to be ministers of reconciliation, to be ambassadors. Well, secondly, from verses 2 through 6, we will not lose heart if we manifest the truth plainly and honestly, and I believe simply also is important. I didn't put that in there, I think. In verse 2, it says, but we have renounced. Paul was, again, defending himself because they were, they were saying that uh, he was doing all of these things. But he said, no, we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And we do that when we share the gospel. We're simply commending ourselves uh, to their conscience in the sight of God. It's the sovereign God who will work in their lives. And it goes on, verse 3, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the uh, gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And it must if they're going to be reborn. For we do not preach ourselves. Basically, I think that was at the heart of what they were saying about Paul. Oh, you're just talking about yourself. You think you're a really great guy. But Paul said, we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus, Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. We are servants. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that's the light he is bringing. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to be showing that light, revealing it. Now, Paul's clarifying that he didn't hide the gospel. He wasn't crafty or unscrupulous in his conduct in order to make the good news known. He wasn't cunning. Uh, he wasn't walking in deceit. Uh, he wasn't trying to falsify anything or corrupt the true gospel in Jesus Christ. Um, and it was interesting, Vine's uh, expository dictionary again uh, it, in looking at these words, it used the word huckster. You ever, huckstering, you ever heard of that? Maybe some of you haven't. Um, but when I thought of that word, I thought, uh, the first thing that came to my mind was televangelists. And, yeah, you know, revivalists, you know, hucksters. And in the book, there's a little booklet, um, I know some of you have read, and it's called The Church as God's Armory. <clears throat> Great title, because the picture is, uh, the church is God's armory. We're raising up uh, warriors and arms right among us. But Brian Abshar, he's a teaching elder, or was in the PCA, he has a chapter called The Real Seduction of Biblical Christianity. And he talks about men in the 18th century, like Charles Finney, and how revivalism and pietism and uh, r radical Armenianism, Armenianism corrupted the gospel. And Abshar said this, he said, the secret to a successful revival back then, he was talking, was to appeal to the reason, the intellect, and especially the emotions of the individual. They were trying to get people cranked up. 
I'm not saying that people weren't converted there, but this is their primary means they thought of doing that. And then he goes on, thus, conviction resulting from the preaching of God's law was increasingly replaced with guilt manipulation, emotional outbursts, and appeal to the individual will. To them, that was conversion, apparently. Sinful men, he said, could now be saved on their own terms with a simplified gospel watered down for the masses. May the Lord keep us from that. But Paul said that he had manifested the truth. And to manifest here in verses 10 and 11 means to make it clear, make it visible, make it known. That's why I said simple too, by the way. Gospel is not complex. In its core, it's simple. Of course, it, uh, to understand it fully is complex, and we never will. But um, sinful men need to hear a simple gospel. And Paul didn't do anything to hide the truth of the gospel or make it hard to understand, nor should we. We don't have to pontificate. We can just share the good news. Now, this, was, uh, this is what the false apostles uh, were accusing him of. They knew, but I believe they knew in their conscience that Paul's proclamation was completely true. And, you know, when you think about the list, uh, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and 3 through 10. There's a list of things that Paul went through, amazing things. Uh, does a man go through that to be corrupt, to hide things? Paul proved his love for the Corinthians and for the word of God. Uh, he clearly demonstrated by his life and the reality and the power of the gospel. That's, that's what he wanted to show. He didn't need to embellish the word of God. In fact, the word of God is living and active. We don't need to embellish it either. Explain it, yes. Proclaim it, yes. So he knew the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. He knew that the word of God is living and active and powerful. It's like a sharp sword. He knew that the word of God accomplishes what God intends for it to accomplish as it goes out. 1 Corinthians 2 is a major cross-reference. So I'd like you to turn just quickly there, please, with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 to, to kind of finish out this point. <clears throat> First Corinthians 2, also written by Paul. He said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, oh, I'm sorry, verses 1 through 5. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined it not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Do you picture Paul that way? Fear, much trembling, weakness? So, and then he went on, I'm sorry. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, like in my wisdom, but in the power of God. So Paul wanted God to be glorified, and it's, he didn't speak to impress, I don't think. He could have. You know who Paul was. He was a Pharisee, he was very smart, he was highly trained, one of the highest, highly, most highly trained men of his time. He's very learned. He could have wowed him, I suppose, but he wanted God to be seen and men to have faith in the power of God, not in his eloquence. So don't think you need to be eloquent. You have to have every word figured out when you live for the Lord, when you proclaim him. We don't, you don't need to be an orator, though we should always be learning how to communicate better, of course. You don't need to be an expert. You don't need to be Greg Bonson in your apologetics. Yes, you can learn from him, certainly. Uh, you don't need to be Ray Comfort and, and be a street preacher, although that would be great. 
You don't need to know all the answers before God can use you. And we should not hold back, brothers and sisters. We should not lose heart by thinking that we must be highly trained experts in order to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can start where you are, and you can ask God, as I've urged you to do already, to use you and to lead you. There's a story, you may remember this from eight years ago. Uh, I'll just summarize a little bit, but uh, there's a man named Don Nichols. He was serving with Operation Mobilization in India. This is uh, back in the late 60s, early 70s, I believe, late, late 60s. And so right when he arrived in India, he contracted tuberculosis. And I mean, he just got there. And so he decided to, there are other options he had, I think, but he went to the local government-run sanitarium in India. And so he'd just gotten there, so he didn't know how to speak their language much. And uh, so all he could do, and he had these tracts, and so he handed out these tracts to the nurses and the doctors and all these really sick people. And everyone refused. They didn't want anything to do with this strange guy. So, but it says here, I'll, just, I'll read a few of his quotes. The first few nights I woke up around 2 a.m. coughing. One morning during my coughing spell, I noticed one of the older and sicker patients across the aisle trying to get out of bed. He'd sit up on the edge of the bed and try to stand, but in weakness, he'd fall back into bed. I didn't understand what he was trying to do. Um, he, he just fell back into bed exhausted. I heard him crying softly. So that's what he saw. And so the next morning, uh, he realized that this man was just trying to get up and, and go to the bathroom. And this bathroom was terrible smell. It was just a hole, basically. And so other patients just hated this old man that he had noticed. Uh, they were yelling insults at him. The, the nurses treated him roughly and uh, just pushed him out of the way. One nurse even slapped him. And uh, this, it's, he said, the old man curled into a ball and wept. So this is the picture this man saw. So the next night, uh, he woke up again, and he noticed the man uh, trying to stand up, and he was so weak he couldn't. And so uh, he fell back in bed. So this man, Don, went over, and, or he got out of bed, which is probably a struggle for himself. He got out, and he went over to this man, and he touched the man's shoulder, and the, the man opened his eyes and was fearful. He thought he was going to get hit again, probably. And... Uh, he helped him, and, and it, he says that he was very light due to his old age and advanced tuberculosis, so he just carried him, picked up this man, who didn't smell very well, and carried him to the washroom, which is filthy, and uh, when he was finished, he picked him up, kind of cleaned him off, carried him back to his bed, laid him down, and the old man kissed him on the cheek and smiled. This man finally said, had some hope. and said something that Don couldn't understand. Well, the next morning, uh, another patient came and woke Don up, and this patient uh, handed him a cup of tea. And that was it. And then he said, you know, I want one of those, he, did, he, he didn't teach his motion, I want one of those tracks. So finally, he gave out one track. And as the sun rose, other patients came and uh, indicated they all wanted booklets too. And he gave him out all day. So weeks later, an evangelist came who could speak the language and uh, came and talked to Don and discovered that uh, several of those people uh, had put their trust in Christ as Savior as a result of reading the Word of God in that literature. So my question, I guess, what did it take to reach those people with the gospel? It wasn't health. He wasn't strong. He wasn't... In fact, he couldn't even speak their language. 
So it wasn't persuasive talk like we just read in 1 Corinthians 2. He simply, he, this is the way he put it. I simply took a trip to the bathroom. Now, they did need to understand the word of God, and they, they could read it, and eventually he was able to convey it. But God opened a door for the gospel by a simple act of kindness. Well, maybe it wasn't so simple, but it was an act of kindness. And sometimes I believe, brothers and sisters, that really is all it takes, and it's very simple in any given day. How many people do you meet where that could lead to proclaiming to testify into the gospel of the grace of God. And anyone, really, I think, who asks questions and who listens to those answers, or just listens, has a great ministry potential. Anybody who will listen to anybody else has great potential in ministry. So the gospel can and should be simply, at least initially simply and clearly presented. Let, let us let the powerful and living word of God and the Holy Spirit convict people. Our task is to communicate the gospel. Amen? Now, but to be able to know and communicate the gospel, of course, uh, we must be meeting people somewhere. Again, we can't be hermits. Um, and we must uh, ourselves, in fact, the primary relationship for us to be successful in ministry is our personal meeting with the Lord Jesus daily. Because the good news is Jesus Christ. He is the good news. And if we're not growing in our relationship with him, how are we going to do well at proclaiming the good news? Uh, we would also need to be building relationships, I believe, with unbelievers to the degree we can to proclaim the gospel and also with believers to minister to them. That is a ministry. We have a ministry to each other here. Every Christian has a ministry, as I said, in exercising dominion in the spheres or the oikos, as it is in Greek, uh, the people around you in which you live. And for us at DCC, I believe that's still primarily first to and with our family, which is, again, one of the points of the, the paper that I asked you to review. Again, in that book by Brian Abshire, The Church is God's Army, he said, Christians need to reclaim the centrality of household ministry. So there are parachurch organizations, and they do good things. But he's saying, reclaim the centrality of household ministry. The bedrock of all Christian ministry is evangelizing the unconverted and then discipling new believers in the faith. Everything else revolves around those two fundamental ministries. So he's talking about ministry in two broad ways, evangelizing the lost, proclaiming the good news, and then discipling those who are converted. And then he goes on to say, while God gifts some men and women with special abilities of evangelism, he is pleased to bring most people to saving faith in Christ through the personal witness of average people. I believe we fit in here. We can do that. Furthermore, Christians are not discipled in a program, but in a personal, intimate relationship. We are not a program-driven church, brothers and sisters, and I'm pretty sure we're not going to be there anytime soon. So both of these basic ministries are best carried out, I believe, through covenant households. Now in verse 3, Paul says that if the gospel is hidden, if it is veiled, even though we may proclaim it clearly, we may think, wow, what did I do wrong or something like that. Well, it's veiled often. It is not because of your ministry or, or Paul's ministry back then or the complexity of the gospel message, but it's because some have darkened minds and they're darkened by sin and, and by Satan. 
1 Corinthians 1, it says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We must remember that this message is the power of God. Let it work. In 2 Corinthians 2, we see that we also are the fragrance of Christ to those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. And Paul went on to say that he, he didn't preach himself, like we saw in 1 Corinthians 2, but he preached Christ Jesus the Lord, and he served as a bondservant. He was a slave. We are too. We should offer ourselves as living sacrifices, as slaves each day, to proclaim the gospel. It's God, and then it says, it is the God who created the light out of darkness. In other words, at creation, the God of all might said, let there be light. And that God, with that power, he's the one who enlightens minds and hearts. We have a part in it. He enlightens by the Holy Spirit. And it is God who shines the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to anyone who turns to him. Our task, brothers and sisters, is to preach Christ Jesus. The good tidings of great joy which will be for all people. Charles Spurgeon wrote, It is strange that instead of speaking, God, instead of speaking and saying with his own lips, the Lord God, let there be light. In, I think he means in a particular person when we're sharing. He speaks the illuminating word by our lips. And he said, he couples himself with our weakness and so performs his purpose. Amazing. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. So people must hear about Christ. And if we focus on Christ and on who he is and what he has done in our lives, we will not lose heart. Even if some don't understand or many or maybe no one outwardly comes to Christ because of us. And we may suffer for it. Brothers and sisters, God is sovereign. He will use our feeble efforts for his grace, for his name. Okay, part three, we will not lose heart if we let Jesus be seen in our weakness. It says that we have the treasure of the gospel in earthen vessels. And back then, an earthen vessel was usually not decorated. It was not, you know, colorful or anything. It was a common jar. And it just wasn't a fancy. They don't stand out. They didn't stand out in any way. And we are weak in many ways, and we often feel that this, this limits our ministry. But I believe, actually, the opposite is true. Paul said that the excellence of the power or, or of the message in him as a, as a weak vessel is of God and not of us, and that's true. Earlier in this letter, he said not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as coming from us, our sufficiency is from God who made us ministers of the new covenant. He is our sufficiency. And later in the letter, you know, Paul asked God three times, please take away this thorn of flesh from me. I believe he's probably thinking, how can I minister with this debilitating thing? But you know the Lord's response. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect or revealed in weakness. In other words... God left him with those because it, it was a, an avenue of revelation for the Lord God to use Paul's weakness. And when Paul heard that, this is an interesting, an interesting response. Paul re responded by saying, okay, great, I'm going to boast in my infirmities. I mean, he almost went <laughs> too far on the other side. I'm going to boast of my infirmities that the power of Christ would rest upon me and that he could use me. 
And he even said he would take pleasures in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, because he knew that when he was weak, then the strength of God would be revealed. So his strength was from God, and he could show God's strength. You don't have to look like you know all the answers. In fact, you don't even need to hide all your weaknesses. You don't have to parade them. But people know if you're going to be honest and share the gospel, you don't need to hide those. God has chosen, brothers and sisters, the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are mighty or those who think they're mighty. We may feel we're too weak in some area to be effective in ministry. Uh, maybe we have a hard time speaking uh, or we kind of panic when we have to defend something against untruth or talking to someone who really knows how to debate. Or we may wonder, well, how can we really help other people? How can I help people? Uh, you know, we just feel that we have some impediment that makes us less effective. Another quick story. Uh, this is from the, uh, I think the first book that from Voice of the Martyrs called Extreme Devotion that we gave you was about eight years ago. And I think this Christmas we gave you the fifth version of that. And I hope you're going through that. But there's a story in there. I just want to relate this. And uh, so there's a man in Eastern Europe uh, back again in the 60s. And his name was Mihai, a little Volkswagen. And he, he lived in uh, Eastern, uh, Eastern Europe. And he was driving up to this checkpoint. And he had some things in his car. had some Bibles in his car, actually. Um, that was illegal. He'd get thrown in jail and killed. And he just prayed, dear, dear Jesus, please protect your word from being found and confiscated. He wants to distribute the word of God. And so these guys really grilled him and ransacked his car, and uh, he's getting weary from standing so long. Finally, they, they let him go. And he was, in other words, he was a gospel smuggler, and that was a dangerous thing to do back then. But he was an ordinary man. He would have called himself an ordinary man um, with an extraordinary vision. Because, I don't know if you remember this story, but he didn't have, he had, his legs had been amputated at the hips, and he had wooden legs, but they were hollow. And that, that was uh, an interesting way to bring the gospel to many, many people. So would you say he was a strong man? I mean, look at this sharp evangelist here. My guy, he's a weak man by the world standards. And yet he was surrendered to be a servant of the gospel. And God used his weakness in many people's lives in bringing the word of God. Now in verse eight and nine here, we see that although going through so much pain and suffering, Paul, I mean, it said hard pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, uh, Paul and his fellow servants, in spite of that, they were not crushed, they were not in despair, they were not feeling forsaken, and they were not destroyed by the grace of God. They didn't, but they did actually carry in them and in their bodies, physically, the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus could be seen in them. And they had a spirit of faith, I believe, in the promises of God that he would use them even through weak and suffering, and their suffering. They simply believed, and so they spoke. In Acts 4, the apostles did the same thing. And they said, we could not but speak of what we have seen and heard. And they remembered that the God who raised the Lord Jesus would also raise... Uh, them up, and those to whom they ministered. Now, the resurrection was always in their minds, I believe, and the result of their sufferings would be that the grace of God would be spread through many people, and thus there would be much thanksgiving to the glory of God. 
So we will not lose heart if we realize that God can use us even in our weakness. In fact, maybe just because of our weakness to be a powerful testimony for him. Don't hold back due to your weaknesses. Let God use them, surrender them to him. Give them to him. You, you are living sacrifices. Offer yourself to him to use for his glory. Well, finally, we won't lose heart if we have an eternal perspective, if we keep it. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So God is renewing our hearts daily and sanctifying us continually by the work of his spirit. And Paul goes on to say, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So he is looking at the eternal, the unseen, because the things which were seen are all temporary. They're all temporal. And they're passing away, including his weak body. While the eternal and the lasting things uh, are unseen to our physical eyes now, uh, but can be seen by faith. In Romans 8, Paul said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And so in comparison to eternal glory uh, with the Lord, he was saying uh, he could call all what he called light and momentary were actually quite severe. He called them light and momentary. In Paul's case, uh, I, that's probably an understatement, but he could rejoice in that. And again, in, the, in those extreme devotion books, a couple things, I, I, I think I always am impressed because uh, it seems that they remember when they're going through what they're going through to proclaim the gospel, they remember what Jesus went through for them. And they testify of this during their persecution or even in their death. And secondly, they look forward to an everlasting peace and joy with the Lord. You, you can read that in, in many of those stories. So they have an eternal perspective. Uh, they're, they're thinking of the exceeding and the eternal weight of glory ahead of them. And so they're thinking of their lasting home. So we should also not lose heart if we suffer. And those, by the way, in 1 Timothy 3, it says those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. They will suffer. You will suffer at some point for being a Christian, maybe even more so in our current uh, the state of our nation. Because even with the incessant pull of the world, the incessant pull of the world causes us to get our eyes off of the eternal. But even then, we can have an eternal perspective. And we can grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord and rely on his promises in those times of suffering. So brothers and sisters in the Lord, do not lose heart because you think your ministry is not significant. You think it's insignificant. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart because you can't see immediate results or noticeable results or get some, something result from it. Do not lose heart if you're not eloquent. I leave you with this verse which I would encourage you to memorize. And just don't lose heart, brothers and sisters. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you that you would even call us to be fellow workers in your field. Oh, Lord, help us not to lose heart in our ministry, whatever that may be for each of us, for, uh, for us as a congregation. But, Lord, to be thankful for your mercy, which gives us the chance to be involved in proclaiming 
the glorious gospel, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Lord, help us to speak the truth of the gospel plainly and to be thankful when you use even our weaknesses to reveal your strength and your glory. And Lord, enable us to keep an eternal perspective in the midst of all this. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is the good news, 